Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of April 23, 2017. First, a reminder to purchase your tickets for the 175th anniversary of the Kentucky School for the Blind Founders Day Dinner, coming up Tuesday, May 9, from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Food Center on the campus of the school. The evening includes a catered dinner and presentation of the Langen Distinguished Service Award. The winners of the Countdown to 175 Essay Contest will be announced and the winning essays will be read. Tickets are $10 each and must be purchased in advance. Visit www.ksb.kyschools.us to purchase tickets or call Paula Penrod at the school at 502-897-1583, extension 7117. A few weeks ago, we included an article about the University of California, Berkeley. The university had thousands of audio and video files available free to the public on its website, but those files were inaccessible to people using screen readers. Berkeley decided to require a login for use of the documents, thus removing them from the use by the public rather than to make them accessible to people who were hard of hearing or blind or visually impaired as required by a court ruling. A statement signed by professors at Berkeley and other universities around the country, as well as by the American Council of the Blind and other organizations, was posted this past week. Follow this situation on page 2, and keep in mind that the outcome could have implications for the accessibility of audio and video materials related to online classes around the country. Allison Flanagan has been the Executive Director of the Kentucky Office for the Blind since 2012. She is retiring from OFB on April 30, and we attended a reception for her on Thursday, April 20 in Frankfurt. Allison will be moving to Tallahassee and joining the Florida Agency Serving the Blind. Kentucky's loss is Florida's gain. Listen in on page 3 as we chat with Allison about her years with rehab in Kentucky, her views about separate services for the blind, and her upcoming move to Florida. There's lots of news and interesting articles on page 4. New scholarships, technology sessions at the ACB convention in Reno, Nevada, a new proposed law about guide and service dogs in Texas, and more. And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. The following article is posted by Kelly Gask of the ACB Alexandria office and is entitled Access Denied. It appeared in Inside Higher Education. A group of scholars object to a decision by the University of California, Berkeley, to remove many video and audio lectures from public view as a result of a Justice Department accessibility order. In August of 2016, the Department of Justice sent a letter to the University of California, Berkeley, asking it to implement procedures to make publicly available online audio and video content accessible to people who are deaf, hard of hearing, deaf and blind, and blind. Rather than comply with this request, the university took the outrageous step of ending public access to those valuable resources, which include over 20,000 audio and video files to avoid the costs of making the materials accessible. 
We, the undersigned, strongly object to Berkeley's choice to remove the content and its public statement that disability access requirements force the decision. That is not the case. Berkeley has for years systematically neglected to ensure the accessibility of its own content, despite the existence of internal guidelines advising how to do so. Further, the Justice Department letter left room for many alternatives short of such a drastic step. It was never the intent of the complainants to the department, nor of the disability community, to see the content taken down. The public response to Berkeley's announcement and to Inside Higher Ed's reporting has been disheartening. While some commenters have acknowledged the need for accessible e-learning content, others have cast blame on those seeking access, accusing people with disabilities of putting their own interests first. Many have suggested that calls for access, such as captioning and audio description for video content, deprive the broader public of these resources. Many misrepresent this issue as one where the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. In fact, people who depend on the accessibility of online course content constitute a significant portion of the population. There are between 36 and 48 million individuals in the United States with hearing loss and about 15% of the population. An estimated 21 million individuals are blind or visually impaired. Altogether, about one in five adults in the United States has a functional disability. The prevalence of disability increases significantly after the age of 65. More than one in three older adults have hearing loss, and nearly one in five have vision loss. Refusing to provide public access to online content negates the principle of lifelong learning, including for those who may eventually acquire a disability. Moreover, many individuals without hearing and vision disabilities benefit from accessible online course content. Despite the large number of people who stand to gain from accessible content, changes to existing practice are rarely made voluntarily and typically occur through the enforcement of disability civil rights laws. Those laws, including the Americans with Disabilities Act and its 2008 amendments, were passed unanimously or with overwhelming bipartisan majorities in both the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. Once disability civil rights laws are passed and implemented, the broader public stands to gain, as laid out by the curb cut effect the installation of curb cuts, a direct consequence of the unanimously passed 1968 Architectural Barriers Act, permitted diverse public access that has nothing to do with wheelchairs, baby strollers, shopping carts, bicycles, roller skates, skateboards, dollies, and more. Today, curb cuts are so ubiquitous that we do not usually think about their existence anymore. Yet, we cannot imagine our country without them. In fact, Berkeley, often considered the birthplace of the civil rights movement, led the way in curb cut implementation. Captions are often referred to as digital curb cuts.
As with physical curb cuts, widespread digital captioning originates from civil rights legislation, including the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act of 2010. About 30% of viewers use captions, according to Amazon, 80% of whom are not deaf or hard of hearing. A 2011 Australian survey revealed similar numbers, and a 2006 British study found that 7.5 million people in Great Britain had used captions to view television, including 6 million, or 80%, with no hearing loss. On Facebook, 85% of viewers consume video without sound, and captioning has increased user engagement. And an October 2016 study found that about 31% of hearing respondent college students always or often use closed captions when they are available, and another 18% sometimes use captions. It was never the intention of the complainants or their allies to have course content removed from public access. With the recent mirroring of 20,000 public lectures, the net outcome is that we are back to square one with inaccessible content, now outside of the control of Berkeley. We wish to emphasize that we have no quarrel with the decision to mirror the content and affirm the right to freedom of speech in the strongest terms. The Department of Justice's letter did not seek the removal of content either. Indeed, Berkeley's peer institutions have affirmed that they will continue to make their materials publicly available while striving to make them accessible as well. The letter cannot have come as a surprise to Berkeley. In February of 2013, seven months after the university announced its partnership in edX with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, and Harvard University, Faculty and staff members on Berkeley's now-dismantled Academic Accommodations Board met to discuss how to make sure students with disabilities have access in online education, including MOOCs. There, board members warned that the university needed strong and immediate plans for disability access in its MOOCs. In April 2014, the Civil Rights Education and Enforcement Center, on behalf of the complainants, contacted Berkeley and offered to engage in structured negotiation, a successful method of dispute resolution that has been used with some of today's biggest champions of captioned online video content. When the offer of structured negotiations went nowhere, the center filed with the Department of Justice in October of 2014. The Justice Department letter issued in August of 2016 found that Berkeley had failed to enforce the accessibility of such content, resulting in few of their video or audio files being accessible. The department asked that the university strengthen its procedures to enforce accessibility guidelines. In response, rather than make the suggested changes, Berkeley publicly threatened to withdraw content and then went ahead with its March 2017 announcement to remove content. We acknowledge that remedial accessibility work after the fact effects 
to make content accessible can be costly. Such work requires not only the addition of captions and audio descriptions, but also checking to ensure that documents and materials can be read by screen readers or accessed on a variety of devices. That is why it is so important that leadership enforce accessibility policies from the beginning. The ADA contains an undue burden defense that protects public entities that cannot afford to make accessibility changes. But it is difficult to see how this applies here, since Berkeley was offered the option to make content accessible over a longer period of time to keep the cost manageable. The fact that the online content is free is immaterial. Civil rights, justice, and access are built on the premise that everyone, with or without a disability, should be able to participate. Online educational content has become a key ingredient of community participation, irrespective of whether it is free or paid. Moreover, Berkeley created the content at the outset, which means taxpayers, including taxpayers with disabilities, partially funded it. Barriers to accessing the educational materials of a respected university hinder communication participation hinder community participation by people with disabilities. Most of the signatories to this article experience such barriers on a very personal level. The removal of digital access barriers is a crucial endeavor for a society that continues to revise its aspiration of justice for all. We urge the university to reconsider its decisions. Page 3. Allison Flanagan is the Executive Director of the Kentucky Office for the Blind. She's been the Executive Director since 2012, and she's going to be retiring from the agency here at the end of April. And she's with me now on the telephone. And, Allison, we're just real sorry to see you go. So um, I appreciate that. It was a very hard decision. We know that it's going to be uh, a, a good this is going to be a good a good move for you, but it's it Kentucky's loss is what Florida's gain. Well, uh, maybe. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> um, but I mean, I'm going to miss Kentucky, obviously. Yeah. But I'm hoping to take my experience and knowledge to mm-hmm. Florida, mm-hmm. and I'm looking forward. I mean, Florida, I think, has some wonderful things happening, and I can't wait to dig in there and learn about their process. Mm-hmm. They do things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be a good challenge for me, which I'm looking forward to. That's great. Uh, but also taking some of the history that I've, I've used here in Kentucky down there mm-hmm. and then also learning from them. So mm-hmm. it should be a good mixture. Well, and, and we have some, you know, some really, really active um, members in Florida. There's, a, um, of course, Paul Edwards down there in Miami is a, the, uh, a past president of ACB. Mm-hmm. And Dan Spoon in Orlando is currently a director on the ACB board, but he has a great future in ACB, and both of them are really hard workers and go-getters, so I'm sure they'll be pleased that you're going to be in Florida in their agency. Yeah, I'm excited to meet uh, the ACB members down in Florida. I'm yeah. sure they're going to be just as supportive as you all have been here in Kentucky for me. Well, I, I certainly hope so, because uh, <laughs> we, we think you've done a really good job. Allison, you. you've had a really 
in, in some ways a really tough ride um, as executive director because the money over the past five years, uh, really longer than that, has been getting slimmer and slimmer, fewer dollars available coming in through the state to be able to match the federal dollars. Kentucky's had to turn back money. It hasn't been an easy road. You've you've had because of the um, because of the loss of money, you've had to see staff cuts, and yet it's almost as if you have a magic wand. You've been able to keep services available. Yes, it may not always have been. Um, all the services that we would have liked, you know, we might not be able, like right now, we can't serve categories two and three, but the services are there, and the counselors are there, and the O&M people are there, and the rehab center is there, and so this has been, um, I, I mean, I, I think you've done a, an amazing job with fewer and fewer resources, so just give us a little um, review of some of the things, some of the changes that have happened in the last in the last several years. I mean, I mean, you nailed it. The budget challenge probably has been, you know, the biggest issue for the agency. And you know, we've um, decreased a little over twenty percent of our general state funds over the last about seven eight years. So, mm -hmm. and as you know, that also depletes your federal match because you don't have the money to bring that down. So that's been very challenging. Um, mm -hmm. And I'll have to say, you know, it's not me. It's it's my team of leadership, and that's one thing I think the agency has been benefited from is because we have a very strong leadership team that believes in the mission of this agency, and definitely wants to focus on services to consumers. And that's what we did was make sure all the changes that we had to make to stay within that budget put the consumers first. And you know, unfortunately, it did affect staff. And you know, we've reduced over. 20% of our staff in the last five years, which has been difficult. But I have to commend the staff who have taken on extra duties, who, you know, and sometimes it was reluctantly, but eventually, you know, change is hard for people. Mm -hmm. But we were able to identify some skills from people, and, and that allowed us to implement some new initiatives, even though we didn't have the money because we pulled people in that were willing to help us. So that's been good for our agency. And you know, I kept saying at the beginning when we had to do all the cuts um, that it would make us stronger. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said portrays that. It did make us stronger as an agency because we had to pull together and we had to work more closely together as a team and understand our challenges and come up with creative ways to overcome that so that we could continue to provide those specialized services to our customers. So it's not only been a decrease in money, but of the dollars that you do have, the agency today is having to pay for some things that it didn't have to pay for in 2012. Is that, that yeah, the case? Yeah, that's true. Probably the, one of the biggest things was the centralization of the state government um, computer systems. Um, that's been difficult for all agencies. Um, our cost for our technology services has certainly, um, just with our small agency, it's doubled. Uh, so that's been a challenge, um, definitely. But then the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act uh, that was passed in 2014 has some additional challenges, and it specifies that certain funds can only be used for certain services. So that's been a challenge because that basically took away some money from 
um, other services that right. we could not spend that money on. So right. we had to be creative. Uh, you know, one of the things we did um, a year and a half ago was apply for that Career Pathways grant. So when we wrote that grant, we wrote in there additional funding to offset what the pre-employment transition services, that 15% requirement, was taking away from our agency mm -hmm. so that we could have some additional dollars to serve for our population that was not that 14 to 21 age group. Mm -hmm. So we tried to be creative and look for those additional resources out there. Um, you know, they're there. Um, sometimes they're hard to get, and sometimes the process takes a long time to get there, but I think patience and perseverance has paid off in our agency. Mm -hmm. I know one of the questions is always year after year after year, well, do we really need a separate agency for blind people? And some people will say, even some people who are blind or visually impaired will say, well, how come, how come we have to have a, you know, why do we need a special agency um, set apart from people with other disabilities? And, of course, most of us will respond, oh, yes, obviously we do. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what we consider to be obvious is not always obvious to others. Um, to, can you shed a little light from, from your side of the desk yeah. on, I, on the separate agency issue? And I'm probably a unique person to answer this because before I came to the Office for the Blind in 2010, my 17 years prior to that was with the general vocational rehabilitation agency that right. serves the other disabilities. So yeah. coming into the blind agency, I, I mean, honestly, when I came in, I didn't have that per, that perspective that a lot of individuals did, even though I had worked with disabilities my entire career. It wasn't until I came to the blind agency and really understood the depth and the unique uh, services that are specific to individuals who are blind and visually impaired that yes, you must have those specialized services. You need to have the counselors and the staff, like the orientation mobility specialist, independent living, all those unique individuals, even your assistive technology staff, that's a whole different type of AT that the blind visually impaired used than mm -hmm. other disabilities. Mm -hmm. So until I got in here and really got to know staff, understood what their duties were, started meeting more of the consumers, of course meeting with you advocacy groups, I really started understanding they need those specialized services to be successful. Um, so it, there is a difference between that general agency and the blind agencies. You know, and I know not all states have the separate agencies, but a lot of them have those unique services and the the staff that are providing just services to the blind visually impaired. And that's the key is to make sure that those unique services stay with tr staff that are trained specifically for blind visually impaired services. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be true also in the rehab center. Uh, I, yes. I, I think a rehab center for the the blind population is very different from the general rehabilitation center for um, other disabilities. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, adjustment to blindness is huge. That's the, that is the cornerstone of making sure someone is successful in not only their employment but also their independence because that adjustment is the big piece. And that's what our rehab center focuses on is those adjustment skills and, and, you know, taking the patience with someone to learn those new skills. And there's, you know, there's frustrated, frustration with that. Um, and it takes individuals a really hard time or a long time to adjust completely to that blindness. And that, to me, the rehab center is vital 
and making sure they develop those skills that's needed. And they have that support system there, which mm-hmm. is really critical, mm-hmm. as well as their families. Yes, yeah. Oh, yes, um, the support for the families is almost as important as support for the person themselves. Yes. Yeah, because if they come to the rehab center and they learn to do things, and then when they go home, um, the family is still unwilling to let them con- use those skills, then pretty soon they lose those skills. Yeah, they do. Um, so. And, it, I mean, the family, and I get it. I'm a parent, so sometimes parents uh, don't want to let go, and they don't want their child to get hurt, whether it's an adult child or a smaller child. But, mm-hmm. you know, coming to the rehab center, meeting with staff, and staff who have visual impairments is important. They see the independence. They see them working day in, day out. And a lot of times those families leave that center thinking, my child's going to have a future. They're yes. going to be independent, and they're going to be successful. Yes, yeah. And and, and now sometimes it's it's just not as simple as just seeing someone else that's successful. But I think you are so right that even if they know they have a long way to go, um, a couple of people have said to me, you know, just seeing other people, just seeing that there are other blind and visually impaired people who can do things, who can sometimes just get up and walk across the room without having to right. hang on to somebody right. gives them hope that they're going to be okay. Yeah, or they're even connecting with the other students that are at the McDowell Center, knowing that they are right. facing the same struggles, and those feelings that they have right. are the same, so they're not alone. So you're going to be going to Florida. I am. I will be the deputy director for the Florida Blind Services, mm-hmm. um, so it's still with the public rehab program, so mm-hmm. I'm excited to continue that career. So are you going to be in Tallahassee? I will. I will be in Tallahassee, and I took the position uh, before I even visited the town. Oh, my goodness. So it was a big leap of faith. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> well, we have some great friends down there that are in ACB Lions, and um, actually the um, it's a, a couple down there, um, William and Sally Benjamin. And Sally has was at one time kind of did the, the um, clerical, that she was the office person, um, worked out of her home, but for the Florida Council, and they're just great. Sally, you, in fact, you know Sally, you may not know the name, but um, she runs the volunteer desk at the ACB National Conventions. Okay. So I probably would know her face. Yeah, I bet you would. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So she's been doing volunteer desk at the ACB convention since we had a convention in Orlando in 2009. Okay. That's where she started from the local host committee, and she's been doing that ever since. So this will be the, what, eighth or ninth year that she's um, run the volunteer effort well, at I ACB. I look forward to working closely yeah, with yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Allison, we are really going to miss you. You have just... You know, really, like I said, you've almost you've almost had a, a magic wand to to make things be able to continue. And sometimes, in the face of adversity, I mean, the the money issue. Yeah, I don't think you you've ever had the money that you need in this agency to pull down all our federal federal dollars. No. And and that's 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 really rough, you know, because. Um, even though sometimes we've been able to serve categories two and three, uh, which are the people that don't have the absolute most severe disabilities, you know, there's there's never been enough 
to go around. And there, even if we were able to get all the federal dollars, right. uh, I mean, I remember years, many years when we did, but even then, I mean, there's still more need out there. It's hard to really imagine that we're able to continue um, to be putting people to work and, and you know, running the independent living program and all those things, but, but we do. And um, I, I think we've had some real successes uh, when it comes to finding employment for people in spite of all the adversity. So we yeah. are going to miss you very much. Oh, well, I appreciate it. And I'm going to miss so much about, you know, Kentucky and the Office for the Blind and the staff and the, the advocacy groups and mm-hmm. just the friends of rehab, you know. Well, so, But I also know that this isn't goodbye. I'm yeah. going to a new state, but we can always stay in touch, and I'm sure our paths will cross again. In the blind community, we do manage to keep up with each That's other. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and best of luck. Thank you very much. APH's Nearby Explorer is a full-featured GPS app for iOS and Android devices that empowers users to travel with confidence. It uses GPS and your phone's compass to speak real-time information about your surroundings, including millions of points of interest in the U.S. and Canada. Nearby Explorer is available on Google Play and on the App Store. Send to Braille is a free tool for creating a Braille file quickly in Windows. It adds a shortcut to your Send to Folder menu. Once installed, simply point to a file, right-click, select Send to, select Braille, to create a quick Braille file instantly. Download Send to Braille from the American Printing House for the Blind at tech.aph.org lt. Page 4. The following announcement was posted by Steve Dresser of Reading, Massachusetts, on the American Association of Blind Teachers email list. It was posted on Friday, April 21, and it's entitled NBC Universal Tony Coelho Media Scholarship. Thanks to a generous contribution from NBC Universal, the American Association of People with Disabilities, AAPD, is proud to offer the NBC Universal Tony Coelho Media Scholarship. In 2017, the NBC Universal Tony Coelho Media Scholarship will offer eight scholarships to undergraduate and graduate students with disabilities who are interested in pursuing a career in the communications, media, or entertainment industry. Each recipient will receive $5,625 to help cover the cost of education at their current college or university. Applications are due by June 19, 2017. The scholarship has been named in honor of Tony Coelho, a former United States representative from California and the primary author and sponsor of the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. Coelho was elected to Congress in 1978 and served for six terms until 1989. During his terms, Coelho authored the original ADA, signed into law by President George H.W. Bush. By 1994, 
The U.S. Census Bureau reported 800,000 more people with severe disabilities were employed than when the ADA was first enacted, in large part thanks to the work of Coelho, his successors, and predecessors. From 1994 to 2001, after being appointed by President Bill Clinton, Coelho served as chairman of the President's Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities. He also worked with the vice chair of the National Task Force on Employment of Adults with Disabilities. In 1998, Clinton appointed Coelho as the United States Commissioner General at the 1998 World Expo in Portugal. Clinton also appointed Coelho as co-chair to the U.S. Census Monitoring Board, a position he held until his appointment as general chairman of the Gore presidential campaign. From June 2009 to June 2011, Coelho served as the chairman of AAPD. Scholarship application process. Eligibility. Any undergraduate or graduate student who self-identifies as an individual with any type of disability. Students must be interested in pursuing a career in the communications, media, or entertainment industry. All majors are welcome to apply. While you do not need to be a U.S. citizen to be eligible for this scholarship, you must currently be attending a college or university in the United States. Please note, you will not be required to disclose your specific disability. However, your application for this scholarship will signify that you consider yourself a person with a disability. The scholarship is run specifically for students with disabilities by the American Association of People with Disabilities, AAPD. Applicants chosen to receive an NBC Universal Tony Coelho Media Scholarship release, all information contained in their application for use on the AAPD website and in public press releases, including releases to the program funders and potential employees. Please contact scholarship at aapd.com or call 202-521-4316 for any questions or concerns. The following announcement is from Janet Dickelman, ACB Convention Coordinator, and was posted on the ACB Convention email list on Friday, April 21. Join VFO at the 2017 Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind for two sessions on Saturday, July 1st. Thank you to VFO for their Ruby Convention sponsorship. The first session from VFO is at 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and is Zoom Text 11, New Features and Enhancements for All. Presenter is Scott Moore, Vice President of Project Software Management Zoom Text. The new Zoom Text 11 magnifier reader is here, featuring a large collection of innovative new features and enhancements. Want a fresh, streamlined, and fully accessible user interface? You got it. Want faster and friendlier ways to read and find information in documents, web pages, email, and more? You got it. Want high contrast color schemes that make text in web pages easier to read without the photos and graphics looking like film negatives? With the new Smart Invert feature, 
Yep, you got it. Want groundbreaking magnified views that expedite workflow on one or multiple monitors? You got that too. And there are even more new features and enhancements in ZoomText 11. Come enjoy a guided tour through the new ZoomText 11 and learn how ZoomText can help you or your clients work with greater productivity and success. The second VFO session is from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturday, June 11, and it's ZoomText Fusion 11. Now with the power of JAWS, presenter Scott Moore, Vice President of Software Product Management, ZoomText. With the combined power of ZoomText and JAWS, the new ZoomText Fusion 11 delivers the most flexible and complete computer access solution available. Whether you are an organization that needs to accommodate users with varying levels of vision loss from low vision to no vision, or an individual experiencing progressive vision loss, Fusion allows you to choose the right combination of magnification, speech, and braille support to suit your specific needs. And it's all bundled together in a single installation and product activation. Come to this presentation where you'll see a demo of the all-new ZoomText Fusion. You'll get an in-depth look at all of the capabilities of Fusion and have a chance to ask questions that you may have. This is a great opportunity for end users and professionals alike. Don't miss this presentation. Pre-registration for the ACB Conference and Convention opens on May 24. Don't miss out on the fun. Make your hotel reservations today. Room rates at the Nugget are $89 single and double. There's an additional $10 charge per night per person for up to four people per room. Applicable state and local taxes are currently 13.4%. When you make your reservation, one night stay will be charged to your credit card. To make reservations via telephone, call 800-648-1177 and ask for group code GACB17. You may also make reservations online by visiting our website at www.acb.org. Convention dates are Friday, June 30 through Friday, June 7 in Reno, Sparks, Nevada. For more information, call Janet Dickelman, Convention Coordinator, with questions at 651-428-5059 or email Janet at j-a-n-e-t dot dickelman, d-i-c-k-e-l-m-a-n at gmail.com. The following article was posted by Kelly Gask of the ACB Alexandria office on the ACB leadership and announce lists, and it also appeared on the ACB Facebook page. The article is entitled, Remote Guides Linked by App Will Aid a Visually Impaired Marathoner, and it was posted on April 20, 2017. This article originally appeared in the Boston Globe. In the hit TV thriller, 24, technology guru Chloe O'Brien is Jack Bauer's second set of eyes, remotely providing him with vital information in real time. And in real time, San Diego-based ARA, A-I-R-A, has developed a remote visual interpreter for the visually impaired that will be used Monday during the Boston Marathon. 
Eric Manzer, an IBM accessibility researcher and avid runner who was diagnosed as a child with retinitis pigmentosa, a degenerative disease causing blindness, will use the technology when he runs in Boston for the eighth time. Manzer of Littleton typically runs with two-sided guides, but this year one of the guides will be an ERA agent, Jessica Jakeway, who will direct Manzer through the grueling course from her home in Columbus, Ohio. I'm also a runner, so we connected on that right away, Jakeway said. The ERA smartphone application available for iPhone and Android devices, is paired with tiny cameras mounted on wearable devices such as Google Glass or Vuzix. V-U-Z-I-X. When the app is opened, ERA agents can access the blind user's virtual dashboard, which enables the remote agents to see and hear what the user is experiencing in real time. From there, ERA's national network of about 25 agents can guide users through a variety of activities through direct oral communication. This is probably the first application ever on the planet using augmented reality in the consumer space, said ERA's chief executive, Suman Kanuganti. Jakeway has been guiding Manzer on training runs for the past couple of months to prepare for the race. We had the ability to be very conversational and descriptive during training, Manzer said. In Boston, we're going to be using shorter commands, such as move left, move right, or keep straight, just to communicate quickly. Manzer said that during the race, he'll be using Jakeway primarily to help him navigate the course without bumping into anything or anyone. Jakeway will have access to everything Manzer sees or hears in real time through her ERA dashboard. It's not a proven use for the technology yet, Manzer said. For everyone's safety, we still plan to have a human guide around. Manzer is running as a member of Team with a Vision, the marathon team of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. ERA partnered with the American Foundation for the Blind in 2016. What's neat about the dashboard is that they can tell what the temperature is where users are, look for restaurants, bus stops, and even call Ubers, Jakeway said of potential uses outside of running marathons. I can track where the car is located to ensure users get in the correct vehicle. Agents can also access users' personal information, such as age, address, directional preferences, and if they use a guide dog or cane. Kanaganti said his company, incorporated in 2016, has received $2.2 million in funding. The CEO said his goal is to have the platform covered by most insurance plans, but as of now, users are charged $89 to $329 a month. This item was also posted by Kelly Gask on the ACB Leadership and Announce list and on the ACB Facebook page. It was posted on April 19, 2017. Proposed Texas House bill would punish people who use fake service animals. And this was originally posted in kcbd.com. Lubbock, Texas. 
KCBD. The Texas House is preparing to hear Bill 2992, which is aimed at punishing those who use fake service animals. The bill would make it a misdemeanor to fit an animal with a harness, collar, vest, sign, tag, or leash of the type commonly used by persons with disabilities so that the person can gain access, permission, or benefits provided to persons with disabilities. If the law passes, it would make the crime punishable with as much as a $300 fine and up to 30 hours of community service. While organizations as large as the American Kennel Club have voiced their support, the consideration is also receiving praise from those within the guide dog community right here in the Hub City. I need Yankee for a lot of things. When I go to class, I have to pick up his harness, entrusting that he won't lead me out into an ongoing car or lead me off a curb, said Texas Tech student John Vickers, who is also visually impaired. Vickers says, if passed, this bill would make a big difference in his life. It's just very discouraging when you get to some place and people have been there with their fake service animals or proclaimed service animals, and they've set a bad image for people like myself with a real service animal, Vickers says. I've seen some sad situations where false certifications and harnesses and vests that go on these service animals are sold online for around $100. It actually costs about $42,000 to train a service animal, Vickers said. Training that Sami Spidell and Timothy Ewing understand firsthand, as they are currently co-trainers of Guardian, who is part of Lone Star Guide Dogs for the Blind. He wasn't even able to go in public until later on, and there's phases of different steps we take to more difficult public settings so we can make them successful, Spidell says. Ewing says training guardian is more than regular pet ownership. For us, it's like a privilege to have him for other people. They're just abusing their power to go out and get these certifications from a vet. It really is hard for us when we're trying to train them for a greater good overall, Ewing says. While these three are part of the guide dog community in different ways, they all have the same message about these animals. Don't pass it off as a fake service animal. Do the right thing, Vickers said. It's not a vest that makes the service dog. It's the dog and the training and the time that's put into them, Spidell says. Page 5, The Sound Prince Calendar On April 28, the Kentucky Office for the Blind Statewide Rehabilitation Council will hold its quarterly meeting beginning at 9.30 a.m. at the McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. The meetings will last until around 2.30 in the afternoon. For more information, contact Jennifer Wright at 502-564-4754. Also on April 28, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a roundabout and its spring quarterly meeting. Education and Technology from 3.30 to 4.45. The bargain table and registration for the meeting, 4.45 to 5.15. 
program and speaker beginning at 5.15, dinner at 6, and the business meeting and elections from 7 to 8.30 p.m. $5 per person at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. To sign up, call 502-895-4598. April 30 is the deadline to register for free guide dog and service dog eye screenings from acvo.org. For more information, call Deb Lewis at 502-721-9129. On May 2nd, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next conference call meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, access code 294444. May 3 will be the KCB PR Membership Committee meeting at 8 p.m. on the same conference line. On May 4, the American Council of Blind Lions will hold its monthly conference call for lions from around the country. Share ideas and ways to be involved in your local clubs. Beginning at 9 p.m., call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On May 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will host its annual derby party. From 10.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., doors open at 10 o'clock in the morning. Plan to come early, stay late, and enjoy friends, games, and fun all day. $5 per person at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Call 895-4598 to sign up. On May 7, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Committees will meet 7 p.m. Advocacy, 8 p.m., Education and Technology, and 9 p.m. Activities on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. May 9 is the Kentucky School for the Blind Founders Day. Celebrate KSB's 175th anniversary at this very special Founders Day dinner and program. Tickets are $10 per person and must be purchased in advance. Call Paula Penrod at the Kentucky School for the Blind, 502-897-1583, extension 7117, for more information. Also on May 9, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will meet from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270 270- Six eight four 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 one eight or Bill Roberts at two seven zero four eight five eight one seven zero. May eleven is the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group. One thirty to three thirty p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call five zero two eight nine five four five nine eight. Also on November 11, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly conference call at 7 p.m. The phone number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. On May 12 will be a Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout with education and technology from 3.30 to 5, discussion time 5 to 6, dinner per person at 6 o'clock, and bingo, games, and crafts from 7 to 10. At 
United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 895-4598 to sign up. On May 13, there will be Exploring with All the Senses, Animals in the Backyard, 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. Meet our city neighbors in the animal world through all the senses, hands-on activities, and interactions with wild animals, offered in partnership with the Louisville Nature Center. Free for all ages, but registration is required. Call 502-899-2213 for registration. On May 14, KCB Next Generation will have its monthly meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605 Four seven five six zero zero six. Enter code two nine four 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 four. Also on May fourteen will be a meeting of ACB families at nine p.m. at seven one two four three two thirty nine hundred. Enter code seven nine six zero nine six. On May fifteen, the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board of Directors will meet at seven thirty p.m. On the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. May 16, the Tri-State Library users will have a dinner meeting from 6 to 7.30 p.m. at Clifton Pizza on Frankfurt Avenue in Louisville. For more information and to let us know that you'll be attending, contact Bill Wright, Tri-State President, at 502-893-0879. Also on May 16 is the next Library Without Walls conference call. Share great books with book lovers from across the country. Sponsored by Library Users of America. More details on next week's calendar. On May 20, the Clifton Walking Tour has been rescheduled from April. 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Join the American Printing House for the Blind Museum in a walking tour of the Clifton neighborhood, starting at the historic 1883 building on the grounds of the Printing House. We'll learn about the evolution of the area from a sparsely populated rural community in 1830 to a densely settled urban Louisville neighborhood. Free, but best for older children and adults. For more information, call 502-899-2213. Also on May 20, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will sponsor a walk in Cherokee Park. Listen for more information on next week's calendar. On May 21, the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Board of Directors will meet at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, code 294444. On May 22, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have a membership meeting at 7 p.m. also on the 605-475-6006, code 294444, conference line. May 24 is the Bluegrass Council of the Blind May Peer Support Group. It meets from noon to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. For more information and to... Sign up, call 859-259-1834. May 24 is the Kentucky School for the Blind 8th grade graduation and middle school high school award ceremony from noon to 2 p.m. at the School for the Blind Ritchie Auditorium. For more information, call 897-1583. 
And that evening, on May 24, is KSB's high school graduation, 6.30 to 8 p.m. in the Ritchie Auditorium on the campus of the school. For more information, call 502-897-1583. May 26 is another GLCB roundabout from 3.30 to 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries. And on May 27 is the KCB Next Generation Lunch Cruise on the Bell of Louisville, 11.30 a.m. Plan to join Next Generation for a fun-filled river cruise. For more information and to register by May 1, text Amanda Salm at 502-750-1174 or email her at alsmoot, S-M-O-O-T, 87 at gmail.com. Looking ahead to June, on June 9, the Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana will host its Guide Dog and Service Dog Eye Screening Clinic along with the GLCB Roundabout. There will be doggy eye screenings from 3.30 to 4.30 p.m. You must have registered with the acvo.org website by April 30. There will also be tech tips and discussion until 6, dinner from 6 to 7, bingo, cards, and crafts until 10. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On June 10, KCB Next Generation is hosting its all-council picnic, a great afternoon of food and fun at the Brown Park in Louisville, and everyone's invited to attend. More details coming soon. June 30 to July 7 is ACB's 56th Annual Conference and Convention in Reno, Sparks, Nevada. Join ACB for its Sparks of Success Convention, a week of programs, workshops, technology, tours, and, of course, food and fun and friends. Get the latest information by subscribing to the ACB Convention email list. Send a blank message to acbconvention subscribe at acb.org and on August 4 and 5 is the 2017 Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Conference and Reunion at the Ramada Inn North in Louisville. Save the dates for a great weekend of summertime fun. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.